Welcome back, listeners, to this week's episode of If I Only Knew. Today, Fred and I are speaking on the topic of men's issues and men's health because it is International Men's Day today. And um, it's obviously a really important issue because a good portion of our society identifies men. But We've spoken on this podcast in the past about significant issues of gender, such as the patriarchy. Like, we're we're no strangers to these social issues. The problem here is that in modern social discourse, this has become a thorny topic. And I just want to speak briefly on that, Fred, before I toss to you, because it seems that some commentators have tried to, like, weaponize this division between men's issues and women's issues, or to somehow use men's issues to minimize or deflect from women's issues. And I want to make it clear that a concern with the issues of one group in society should never preclude the issues of another community. And in fact, a concern with issues across society can enrich the insights we offer on a variety of topics. So it just seems really frustrating to me sometimes that these discussions are brought up in contrast to one another, um, even with in contrast to like non-binary sexual identities. And I just think that is a real challenge in this discussion that I want to get out of the way first, because I find that ironically, I see people complain online during International Women's Day, for example, when that's promoted, um, and they complain that there isn't an International Men's Day or where's the International Men's Day? (laughs) And I mean, in fact, there clearly is. We're talking about it right now. But if you only think of International Men's Day to diminish the celebration of another community, then you're missing the importance of actually bringing these issues to light. And I hope that uh, we can kind of overlook this polarizing discourse that seems to have been introduced in society. And I think he's really quite malicious myself. So with that out of the way, Fred, men's issues, men's health care, this is obviously something that you've been involved in professionally for quite a while, Fred, but you've also had a very different take, I suspect, to me because of your uh, upbringing a generation or so beforehand. I guess if I ask you a really broad question, what do you think men's health means to you? Well, it's interesting because it's changed over time. And G'day, Matt, thank you for that (laughs) starting point. If I only knew is about lifting up everybody and not about putting down anybody, and I think that's Mm. a really good starting point. Mm. Men's health for me has changed over time. Um, I became aware of the idea of controlling or being in control of your health when my father got unwell. Um, And in his late 70s, had to battle prostate cancer, which he did successfully. Hmm. And recognising in family history, there were cardiac issues. Now, for those that know me, I'm not giving anybody advice on physical health. I'm not qualified and I... uh, It's not my place. (laughs) But... I think I've come to understand that men's health is two things. It's both physical and psychological. Some Mm. would say there's a spiritual component to that or a relationship component. Let's just keep it into two broad categories for argument's sake. When I was your age, I could eat a dozen donuts and a chicken and avocado croissant at morning tea, (laughs) uh, do a physical job and lose weight. I've just put on 100 grams talking about that much food in my late 40s. So things change over time. I think the critical aspect of men's health from a physical perspective is that I've learned that we want to encourage men to be proactive managers of their health Mm, Yeah. because men are uh, have shorter lifespans. We know this statistically uh, are more susceptible to some chronic diseases, uh, certain cancers, and a lot of that can be managed to minimise risk. I'm interested to know what a young guy Mm. thinks Mm. men's health is. I think it's really funny that you talk about the ability to be quite blasé about your physical well-being when you're a bit younger, because I definitely feel that, you know, like eat just whatever you want. And this is my mantra to my parents whenever they complain they eat too much sugar. I say, look, I can do it now. My body can process it. I'm running every day, whatever it is. Now's the time to enjoy this delicious fatty, buttery food or whatever. 
And so I definitely think that that's a, a big part of my psyche at the moment. It's interesting that you talk about the idea of managing and being responsible and proactive for your health, because I think that's something that I've been realizing I need to do more of more recently, maybe with the pandemic, maybe just because I'm now like have responsibility for booking my own doctor's appointments, Fred, I don't really know what it is. But um, I've been, I haven't been to the dentist in in an embarrassingly long amount of time. Yeah. Like I, I had a dentist appointment booked and then it was cancelled by COVID. So I have some slight defense in that regard. But really, I need to go to the dentist. Um, I, I jarred my thumb playing basketball two and a half months ago. And I only went to the physio to see if it was okay two months after I jarred it. And it turns out it's not perfectly okay. It will get better. But there were some problems with it. And I really should have gone right to the physio. But in my head, I jarred it quite badly. And then I was like, oh, I can still play after five minutes. I can get back on the court. Therefore, there mustn't be anything too wrong with it because I can still use it. It's still fine. It's still serving me appropriately. And I think that that's something that I'm learning to grapple with still as a, as a young man growing up, I think, of like, well, what does it mean to be looking after your health optimally compared to what does it mean to be looking after your health just so you can get by? And I, I don't know if that's a, a generational difference or maybe it's a generational similarity. Do you think that that was a, a, an idea for you guys? I think absolutely. And I, I won't speak on behalf of the oldest generation that I know, but my father would be a perfect example of somebody that didn't start to manage his health until his 60s. Mm -hmm. uh, and ironically, I tell the story and people don't believe me, but at, at one point, my father was a chain smoker that used to smoke eight packets of cigarettes a day. No. True story. And there are photos of him with a cigarette in each hand. Oh, my God. The cool story about it is apparently my mother was quite ill when she first fell pregnant with me, they had respiratory issues and the doctor said, if anybody around you smokes, tell them they have to stop. Mm. Uh, and he stopped cold turkey. Jesus Christ. On a day, he smoked his last cigarette on one day and then made a conscious decision to never smoke again. And then from the next day onwards, he's, he's never touched. That's 47 years because that's how old oh, I am. Right. Plus nine months, I'm sure. He's never touched a cigarette since. And uh, I asked him not long ago when the craving stopped and he, he laughed and said they never have. Jesus. So I find that to be really interesting, oh but God. just on an addictive process. Yeah, wow. I think what's really fascinating, though, is that men men's health is overlaid by this idea that men are strong and resilient, mm. fearless and unbreakable. And as a young man, that concept of being indestructible, yeah. I really resonate with that. You know what? Shake it off. Hey, it's all right. You'll be okay. Mm. As you get a bit older, you realise that the sins of your youth catch up on you. Yeah. You know? It's the playing through a back injury when I was your age that means I have a tricky back at my age. Mm. And, you know, ironically, I tell that story about my father smoking. It wasn't until his 60s that he got a lung scan. Fortunately for him, there were no issues with his lungs, but... There were issues with his eyesight and his circulation as a result of that much smoking for that right. long. Yeah. And that's what he had to start attending to. So I think men's health is sometimes confused because of this concept of big, strong, tough, resilient, mm. which the parallel I've learned, and I've learned this by working on a regular basis with my own doctor because I've taken a different approach to my physical health recently, not that you tell by looking at me. <laughs> And my doctor told me a story. He said, a, there's a really good story. He said, if you found two men that were the same age, the same height, the same weight, with the same lifestyle, one went to the doctor every month, 12 times a year, routinely, mm. and one only went when he was sick, who was going to have more health issues? Mm. And I said, I don't know. He said, well, 
if all the situations are the same and it's an optimal lifestyle, they'll both have the same health yeah, issues. Right, right. But who do you think is managing those health issues better? Hmm. The one that waits for a crisis or the one that's proactive? A healthy way for me to think about my health is more of a coaching approach, using doctor as coach. And I think a lot of men struggle with that idea hmm. because on some level there's still some implicit perception that seeking out medical help would be some form of weakness where realistically it's actually the smartest thing that we can do. Hmm. Now, I have a question for you, Matt. You're a young guy. Hmm. You're not at this point yet in your life, but at some point you may get a cavity exam. You're right. Okay? Because it's quite realistic that for some reason, at some point, they want to stick something in your rectum to have a look around. <laughs> yes. Okay? For the sake of my health, yes. For the sake of your health, not recreationally. <laughs> but I've got a question for you. Who would you prefer to do that? A male doctor or a female doctor? Oh, man. It's a hell of a question. I like to think that it wouldn't make a huge difference and perhaps it might not for me just because I would feel quite uncomfortable in that situation regardless, but I probably would lean toward a male doctor. No, I've got no idea why, but probably just a little bit toward a male doctor, yeah. And and, and this, is the, this is part of the path of a male therapist that deals with men's health as part of what they do. For some reason, we have preferences. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people that would say, oh, it would have to be a female doctor. Right, yeah, yeah. I have a really big cohort of people that would say, a doctor's a doctor, their training is first, and I want the best doctor. I don't care if yeah, they're yeah. a man, woman, or a Califumpian. Let's get the right person looking up my clacker if there's got to be some issues that have to be resolved. <laughs> yeah. I must admit, I don't have a bias, but if I think about the treatment I've gotten, mm. it is actually generally male doctors that have done the more intimate health issues. Unfortunately for me, I haven't had very many, although mm. I'm nearly 50. But there is another concept that overlays men's health, which is this idea of stigma or embarrassment, because a mm. lot of men's health issues are going to be around chronic disease or they're going to be around, I know that one of the biggest proliferations in men he men's health at the moment are online health services that help with hair loss, weight yes, loss, yes. erectile dysfunction, or mental health. Yes, which is very important given the proliferation, as you say, of uh, body image issues that I've observed around particularly younger men. That's very yeah. interesting. And it's, I think it's interesting. There's a magazine called Men's Health, and it always puts this perfectly sculpted yeah, human yeah, on the classic. cover. Whereas if they really wanted to sell more magazines, they should put a body like mine on the front. This is why you need to take control, people. <laughs> but what do you think about the idea? I, I want to throw a curveball at mm. you. You're a young guy. This won't be an issue. And I'm going to say safely for me, and touch wood, uh, it hasn't been an issue for me, but it is a very common issue around libido, impotency, premature ejaculation, hmm. who would you talk to about that? Would you happily go to the family doctor or would you rather dial into some anonymous doctor through a right. web service right. if that ever became an issue? I really like this particular spin on these questions that you're giving me, Fred, because I think these are issues like stigma and men's identity and feeling strong and all that kind of stuff. They're often talked about when it comes to discussions of men's health, but I haven't thought specifically ever about like who would I actually want helping me with this kind of thing. I mean, just quite simply, I would prefer to have someone completely anonymous uh, treat me for that kind of thing, I would expect. 
In, in a lot of ways, in fact, perhaps, maybe this is just me because I'm a, a relatively somewhat shy and private person in my private life. I, I'd almost prefer if there was a, a disease that didn't involve like long-term care and a rapport with your doctor and that kind of thing. I'd almost prefer most of my medical treatments and stuff to happen relatively anonymously with new doctors. That might be a bit of an odd take actually, but um, yeah, I would definitely prefer the more online distance thing for that particular um, kind of issue. I think that's really interesting because when I would have been your age, I would have had the same approach. Now right. that I'm now that I'm getting older and I want to track health changes, mm. I really want it to be the one doctor. I mm. want it to be the one guy. I want a partner in my health yeah, yeah. that knows this stuff. Um, and I don't mind if that's a female doctor, but I, I'm enjoying the rapport with a good doctor who happens to be male. Mm. And I have had very, very good doctors that were also female, and it doesn't worry me either way. My current doctor's a great guy because he takes his approach to my health as coach, you know? Right, yeah. Um, and he's very optimistic, and he's playing a long game, and we've got five years to achieve certain goals. Mm. I think the proliferation of near-anonymous health services in its own way is really productive for men because there is a stigma issue. Yeah. And they must be working because I can count no less than four online health services for men that have launched in this country in the last year. Wow. And it's about the private packaging, brown paper packaging delivered to your door. Yeah. I know that for a lot of people, hair loss is an issue. And I don't think that's a vanity issue. I think there's a lot around uh, the the concept of, you know, just feeling good about ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I know that industry's come a long way, as has medication. I know that people get very, very anxious around things like um, libido are a really big issue. And it's my hope, Matt, that your generation is more proactive in overcoming stigma to get treatment rather than just waiting it out. But it sounds like, Maybe I'm being a bit optimistic with that. It's an interesting thought, that, that, that idea of regenerational change, because I would probably suggest that I've heard this conversation in different forms that we're having now a few times growing up, because men's health has been on the radar, on our radar, talking about men who need to be more proactive in their well-being. And I think that's a really good thing, because it's always sat in the back of my mind saying, Matt, you need to go and organise this, you need to do this. So I think the fact that it's there is a advantage is a change. But I do wonder if some of the problems that might lead to issues around stigma for erectile dysfunction or hair loss or whatever might actually be increasing, perhaps, because I think body image is becoming more of a problem among younger people. And I think there's more of a sense of, well, particularly young men are turning to steroids or eating disorders or yeah. a whole heap of challenges that go along with that. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, if our generation might be better equipped to proactively manage it, but they also might be more in a position to suffer from these challenges in the Absolutely. first place. And if you look at the generational stuff, when my father first got to Australia, it wouldn't have been unusual for men without masks to be unloading sacks of asbestos on the mm, dogs. Mm, mm. And obviously, we've had a proliferation of health issues around mesothelioma. Yeah. My father's generation, your grandparents' generation, yeah. the concept of sun smart in Australia. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Very, very different concept. Yeah. yeah. You know? Even as a kid, I remember the idea of get out in the sun and get healthy. And and sunscreen only became, I, I reckon I was in my late teens when they started pushing slip, slop, slap. Interesting. And sunscreen. And I remember the strongest sunscreen was SPF 15. Mm -hmm. So I think about the idea of industrial practices, so work-related practices as well. Yeah. What we now consider to be safe workplaces 
are very different to the workplaces of yeah. my father's generation without guards and masks. And so I think men's health is changing, but it's interesting that you talk about the social impact of men's health, the body beautiful, that mm. yeah, there's a great thing, Mirror Mirror, that was, um, I think Todd Sampson did on Channel 10 a couple of weeks ago. Right. And he had this fantastically defined bodybuilder and the guy was saying, I can show you based on the photos, I won the competition, but you could tell I was being lazy. I only had four abs, not six. So, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, you've got some real issues there. So I think as society progresses, the dangers change to men's health Mm. and to everybody's health, but we're talking about men's health today. What's your take on your generation's approach to mental health? Mm. This is obviously a recurrent theme on this podcast, of course. And yes. um, one of the things that comes up is that, well, there's been a new spotlight shined on it, of course, as, as we've seen a, a transition, a more attention paid to it over different generations. But I think that there's an interesting question as to like what it means to pay more attention to something like mental health. What I see a lot of online at least and, and the internet is a dubious place to gather information about this kind of thing but nonetheless we'll leave that aside I, I often see a bit of discontent from maybe some of the more maybe socially conservative men online who, who often have comments along the lines of well I know that I'm depressed or I know I have ADHD or I know that there's this thing wrong with me or I know that I can understand now because the way our society has developed a language around mental health, which is very important, I can understand now all these problems that I might be at risk at or I might be suffering from, but I just have no recourse to deal with it. There aren't, there aren't friends out there to check on me. There aren't support services that I feel comfortable using or whatever. And I think that that's the, the kind of next step of where I see a challenge for, for young people in mental health developing is now that I think we're a lot more comfortable with the the idea that well these mental health challenges exist for one thing that's an important recognition we have a language to talk about them now which is a very important tool but I, I do think there's a plenty of young people who be it financial circumstances social circumstances even like a a self-confidence or, or a faith in the system kind of challenge that stops them from getting help. Maybe even they know they need, but they don't feel like they can get. So I do think that that's the challenge that I see to see growing more, even though I think young people are more practiced when it comes to dealing with uh, mental health challenges. Yeah. That's really good insight. And, and I would say there's never been more support than there is now. Mm. Which is interesting, right? I obviously have to agree with you there. My mum my is a social worker at the Children's Hospital who works in the sexual assault unit. She's the most optimistic person when it comes to mental health and, and mental health progress because she, she saw the sexual assault department in the Children's Hospital in Melbourne grow from like four people, four social workers who just like thought, oh, we, we probably need to help these people out to like a, a well-funded, sophisticated healthcare system. And yet, my, like me growing up, my generation, I see a lot of cynicism around, oh, we've still got so far to go. All these people are still suffering. We're not delivering services appropriately or whatever. And I think it's this, this interesting distinction that I've observed from people who've grown up and seen the progress that has happened, yeah. those of us that have been brought into the world with all that progress made. And then we're like, ah, oh, crap, I'm kind of ignoring all the great stuff that's happened and only seeing the fact that, well, there's so many people who are really struggling still. I think in a lot of ways, without getting political, I think that encapsulates a failure of government in this country. Right. I think there's been a lot done from some really well-meaning groups to improve people's understanding of mental health. Mm -hmm. However, that generally comes from a place of community education. Right. And it falls down in the idea of now that you're aware 
here's where you seek help. Mm-hmm. If you have no money, here's where you go. If you have some money, here's where you go. Yeah, yeah. And I think we don't celebrate the growth in the unit that your mum works in or we don't show that to the world because mm-hmm. the dialogue is being absorbed by these big community campaigns that have probably already done their job. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, I have a question about therapy for you. Mm. If you were to engage in therapy, Mm. would you seek out a male therapist or a female therapist? Another very good question. I don't think it would matter. I haven't been in a position where I've needed to make that decision. But I've, I've often thought maybe I should just like see a professional just to get some other thoughts on my life or to, to chat to someone in like a psychological context about this kind of thing. Yeah. And in those musings of mine, I've never had any particular thoughts as to the gender of a psychologist. Yeah, absolutely. I always find it fascinating that men have quite strong opinions about who will peer into their bum. Mm-hmm and less commitment. (laughs) You've got me there, Fred, damn. (laughs) But it's an interesting one because if you said to me, where would I seek out therapy? I know I would go to a woman and I don't know if that speaks to the sorts of issues that I have, which are very minimal according to me. Um, I think one of the things that's really fascinating though is that point that you made about prophylactic therapy. The idea of doing or using therapy as a coaching tool rather than a crisis management tool. And I think that as a psychologist, I think that's a really healthy approach to therapy. And I'm going to give you the change I see, just a general trend I've observed. It's not statistically significant because even though I've dealt with hundreds of people, it's still a small fraction of our community. The reason I have people sent to me when I was doing more prolific amounts of private practice Mm. is uh, I would have said that my practice was 50-50 women and men. Mm. Almost always when it was a men's issue, it was related to their relationship. So it might have been a form of couples counselling where the wife had heard about this psychologist that would tell it to them like it was, I think they thought I'd get their husband in the room, get him in the headlock, punch him in the stomach. And throw him <laughs> nice, you know? um, but it was this idea of instead of hearing about relationships from somebody with some incense burning and a rug on a couch and stuff, which is a stereotypical impression of psychology, it was a more business-focused approach right. when okay. they walked in. I know? can see your presentation as being something like yeah. that, yeah. So that was one aspect. I dealt with young men and I dealt with older men. One of the things I really liked about dealing with a young cohort is I think they were very good at compartmentalizing therapy to help resolve a problem. Right. They'd take what they need. They'd say, high five, we've achieved what we wanted. I'm going to go live my life. Right, right. Okay. And because of that, I have a lot of faith that they might use therapy in the future. Mm. And some have, some have come back for different reasons. But therapy is a coaching environment where they might get past a crisis, they learn a bit about how to cope, and they'll use therapy again if they're overwhelmed, but they don't see it as lifelong treatment. Mm. Men that are older that come to therapy later tend to be in therapy for longer because they're unpacking so much more that they've had to deal with over time. That's neither a good thing or a bad thing. But if somebody said to me, what's a great way to use therapy? I think the current generation dropping in, getting what they need, taking from it what they want, 
and then leaving therapy is a really healthy way to use mm. therapy, assuming that they don't have a chronic ongoing issue. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, and, and the examples I get, I've seen young people that have had issues controlling substances. I've seen young people that have issues dealing with breakups in relationships. Mm, that'd be a big one, yeah. Uh, young people managing or challenging their sexuality, young people with disenfranchised relationships with parents. Mm. And that, that stuff is really quite interesting insofar as there's no residual trauma. We're not talking about, you know, chronic mental health issues. We're talking about issues that could come up every day and they're working really well to kind of build some strategies and move on. Mm. Yeah. And I'd like to think that's a good model for most men in both their physical and mental health, a coaching approach. Yeah, yeah. Be the guy that manages their health more often, not because you'll be healthier, but because you're in more control of your health. <laughs> I want to ask you a question that in, in between the two of us is uniquely positioned for you to answer, and we might finish mm -hmm. on this, but you spoke earlier about being able to eat what you want because you run and you burn mm. it off. Mm. What role do you think sport has in mental health for mm. you? <laughs> a very, very layered question for me, I think, Fred, because it, it, it has a lot of different roles for me. The best way, I think, for me to illustrate the importance of sport for me personally is by identifying it as the thing that I've missed, the singular thing that I've missed most during lockdown. And there's a handful of reasons for that. And most interestingly, I think I never would have expected it to be the thing I missed most because I've always been a relatively active, relatively competitive person in the sporting world. And so I've never really been without it. And then it was taken away from me for almost two years now. And suddenly it was the thing I was missing most. And there's a handful of reasons for that. One of them is simply I'm less fit than I was. And I was getting like into the stride of playing some of the best basketball I've played in my life. And I was really mad that that opportunity has been sort of limited for me. So that's the simple side of it. The social aspect of it, losing that also sucks. But I'm there's so much of a loss of social socializing in the world at the moment. That only feels like a drop in the bucket for me. The, the final reason that I'm surprised that I've missed sport so much during lockdown is that I found out I'm actually a really competitive person in some circumstances. I don't think of myself as a deeply competitive person. You know, you give me a game, you give me a challenge, I'll strive to complete it. But that's like, I don't see myself defined by my competitiveness, but then I couldn't play sport. And I had this urge after a few months to just find a challenge and overcome that challenge. So I started playing a few video games, online video games that I've played before, casually played with mates, you know, they feel, they feel the time, good social event. And I started picking them up and played the competitive modes just because I wanted to challenge. I wanted to, to set myself a goal I wanted to compete against someone. Um, there was another another phase for a few a few weeks where I set my goal of running the fastest six kilometers I've ever run because I generally keep track of my, yeah. my pace. Um, and I was like, damn, I need to beat my pace. And I did it. And I'm like, damn, that's amazing. And then I stopped running for like two weeks for and lost all my goddamn progress. But uh, <laughs> um, so I think that like sport's really important for a handful of those reasons that I've touched on. But I think that it just like, it's kind of meditative as well. Like there's that 40 minutes in basketball for me where I've just got nothing else to think about but that game. And I love that. It really, it really focuses my attention. It makes me feel like I've got an objective in front of me that I can achieve and complete um, in a social and relatively active context. And I think that I really found myself missing it. And I found myself missing this competition, this urge to like set my myself against someone else in a really healthy and positive environment yeah. and and just kind of compete with them um, so i think all of those aspects kind of add up for me 
to make sport a really positive contributor to my well-being. And I think there's a critical piece to that that I think is at the core of men's well-being in general. It's this concept of challenge. Mm, mm. When I managed people that were dealing with addictive issues, somebody once said to me, if you know anything about the 12-step, traditional 12-step programs, they embrace a certain style of spirituality. Right. And somebody once said to me, none of that was fitting for me until because every time they said the word God, it was really grating because religion, you know, was a source of abuse for me. But then I realized God for me stood for great outdoors. <laughs> nice. Right. And I started bushwalking and camping. And, right. and I always remember that conversation. And in working with men's health, I've always looked at this idea of, and I don't believe it's different for women, but I believe in the context of men's health, physical activity, hobbies, interests really speak to uh, how we're managing our health. If yeah. we're engaging in those things that we find challenging, for some people it's water skiing, others it's fast cars, some it's woodwork. Uh, I'm a big fan of pressure washing my my, <laughs> my back porch at the moment until there's not a speck on it, okay? Yeah. I just potter around the house, chopping shit down, you know, pulling stuff out. But there is a certain link between well-being and the concept of doing and moving. And I think a lot of men mm-hmm. in the current environment with, you know, work from home and other things are talking about missing that collegiate camaraderie of group sport. Um, And I think there's a little bit of a tip there. So if we were going to summarise what we learnt today is men probably haven't evolved overly much in terms of how they might manage their health despite (laughs) all the information we're given. But we know that one of the things that is in everybody's best interest is to take health on like it's a coaching opportunity to understand what works for you to find we haven't talked about it but something we've touched on is that right alliance with health professionals that make you feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and you know this combination of of body and mind is a really good dynamic for men's health mate i've enjoyed talking about this today it's my hope that after this you go and seek out a good relationship with a doctor uh it's better doing it than not doing it is my take on men's health and and despite what you may believe in in terms of what comes next this carcass is the only one they've gifted me (laughs) with so i've learned over time that i'm gonna have to start taking better care of Mm -hmm. it Uh, and if only i was young again i missed those six donuts and that uh, avocado and chicken croissant where i'd lose a kilo man i'd work i'd lose a kilo oh look at this i'm gonna make Uh, sure i have extra donuts tomorrow just just for you fred look i can't speak to that but you know have one trick <laughs> mate it's been a great episode awesome. and to everybody out there that's looking at how they can um make the most of international men's day and men's health i will will leave you with one stat if you think your health is important remember that 80 percent of referrals to health professionals for men are actioned by the women in their lives wow let that just sit there for a little bit what would we do Have a great week, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Talk to you soon. Thanks very much, Fred. See you guys. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a Better Pod Group production with special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Blanche, the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is this podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can 
through triple zero or lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts are theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Bad Pod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.